got my headphones. Oh, Brittany. For Brittany. Oh my goodness. For Brittany. That's another episode, but hashtag free Brittany. <laughs> oh, happy Sunday. Happy, happy Sunday. I am 10 minutes late to this podcast this morning because I had oatmeal for breakfast. I'm sorry. Let me correct myself. I had steel cut oats. Okay. Way bougier than oatmeal. (laughs) And like I added some protein powder and peanut butter and blueberries, right? Ate it. It was delicious. I've never added protein powder to um, oatmeal before. And uh, 10 minutes after I ate it, I was like, oh, hello, colon. (laughs) <laughs> nice uh nice to hear from you was not expecting to hear from you right now but I Every- will answer it I will answer the call everything's in working order that's a good thing <laughs> well basically we start out in life as toddlers and our parents have to plan every car trip around yeah. our bathroom behavior and it <laughs> just goes right back to it as we get older <laughs> oh my gosh oh. too funny too funny. So before we announce what this episode is about, I would just like to read for you this meme that one of our super fans posted. Okay. Don't let anyone treat you like free salsa. You are cheese queso. You are queso. You are queso. Cheese dip. In, in queso, you forget it. You are cheese dip, baby. You are cheese dip. <laughs> With nachos. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. We have super fans. We do have super fans. We have some people who listen as soon as we put it out, which on is the regular. Amazing. Yeah. On the regular. Like much, much like my digestive system on the regular. And it will make you regular. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, you want to announce the topic? Yes, I yes, I do. Why thank you. I wanted to talk about food today. Because you're hungry all the time. I mean, oh, let's talk about food, baby. Let's talk about ham and cheese. I'm just kidding. I don't (laughs) eat ham. (laughs) Neither do I. (laughs) But that's one of the things we can talk about. I, I feel like food is such an integral part of life, right? We can't survive without it, nutrition. And there's so many things related to how we eat, why we eat the things we do, when we eat the things that we do, how our emotions come into play with food, what we learned about food growing up. Every human being has a relationship in some way or shape to food. Mm -hmm. So I think when you are trying to repair your life or trying to enhance your life or better your life, at some stage of the game, food is going to come into play. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there's that whole idea that you are what you eat, right? And I didn't really understand that. I mean, you know, there would be cartoons when we were kids, the cartoon character would eat the thing and then it would turn into that shape and it felt very (laughs) dramatic. And then of course we'd have our parents telling us crazy things. Like if you eat the watermelon seeds, you're going to grow a watermelon tree in your stomach. (laughs) So I, I think it was a very literal 
picture in our minds as children. And then as we get older, we sort of take different risks, especially as young adults. And then as you start to age, right. at some point, your your system comes back at you. Yeah. And you realize this, you are what you eat thing has some truth to it. Because when you start eating for your body's health and for your body's wellness and to fuel your body versus eating to just feel good mm-hmm. or to satiate an emotional state. Yeah. Very different sort of feeling, right? Totally. Feeling, feeling fall doesn't feel as good when you get older. <laughs> no, it does not because your pants can't fit. Right. And this is a very first world conversation. I'll just, of course. Say that so, well, kind of getting to that a little bit, you know, we both have, I think, interesting relationships with food because of how we sort of came into the world and the availability of food and what you see on your plate, how that informs where you are in your life. Mm-hmm. So for me, <laughs> I always remember loving eating. Like I remember any time food was in front of me, if it was, especially if it was something I liked, I always wanted more, mm-hmm. but I was always afraid to ask for more. This connects to other areas in my life, but mm. you know, there's this idea that you are, it's normal to only eat a certain amount of food right? So you try to stick to the norms based on what everyone else around you, around you is doing. Like my mother was never someone who just like inhaled all of her food. She was a very slow eater. She still is. And they say, when you eat slowly, you get full faster because you're giving your brain enough time to register the hormones that your stomach is releasing, going back up to the brain saying, I'm full, I'm full, stop eating. So she was a slow eater. Mm-hmm. My brother was also a really slow eater. Mm-hmm. My father like inhaled his food and I also inhaled my food. So my dad and I always had a tendency to eat more than we should have. Mm-hmm. But again, because I saw my mom and my brother eating smaller quantities, I always felt like I had to do the same. Mm-hmm. And then later I'd be like, I'm so hungry. And then the shame would show up like, no, I'm not supposed to want more. Yeah. It's interesting how the shame shows up in food. I know for me, you know, we grew up just very poor and there was just never enough food. There were five mouths and not enough food. And so I know when we would get a treat, you know, on the off chance that we would get a carton of ice cream, one of those Mm -hmm. regular cartons of ice cream. Yeah. It would be gone in a day. I mean, it was gone (laughs) because even if my mother would say, okay, let's each have a bowl, we'd each go sneak in. And because you've got five kids, there's enough people to distract and then sneak in, get the spoonful, spoon it right out of the thing. It was gone by the end of the day. And so there was this mentality. I relate a lot to the way your father eats, because if you did not eat as quickly as possible, the food would be gone. Gone. Yeah. Just totally gone. We didn't eat any of the sugary cereals you know, like a lot of the stuff, I guess, more traditional Americans might have eaten. Sure. Like I didn't have fruity pebbles growing up. That didn't yeah. happen. Whatever the generic bag of Cheerios was on the bottom of the right. cereal aisle, that was what right. we had. So I think for me, I, I really struggle even to this day to slow down and 
to eat more slowly because it's just yeah. a habit. Same, same. I, I'm so lucky that I can afford to eat the way I want to in my life, but I still haven't lost that early learned behavior of how I eat. Mm -hmm. And then there's the scarcity mindset too, with food, you know, like a lot of families, there was, there was certainly struggle. There was certainly times when we knew like, okay, the things that we really, really loved, we weren't getting those that much. My dad was, would always like on weekends, he would always bring like a dozen donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. And that was like, I was obsessed with those. I mean, how could you not be when you're a kid? He'd get the donuts with the sprinkles, the chocolate, you know, everyone had their favorite and the serving size was like one donut, right? So the four of us, we'd all have one donut. Everybody would leave the kitchen. And then I would be like, I want another donut. I want another donut. I want another donut. I always, always, always wanted more. And then for a while we weren't getting donuts. So when they would show up, I'd be like, I gotta eat, I gotta eat them all. Yeah. I still have this. There was a jar of M&Ms that my husband got and he had on the counter. I put everything in jars because I like to see what's inside. And also it's it's the hipster. Hold on one moment. Is this the first time you're saying my husband on the podcast? That was a slip. I slipped. I slipped. (laughs) Do you need to restate this? No, I'm I'm sticking to it. He's my husband. Okay. I'm just checking because it's being shared. (laughs) Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Okay. Okay. Continue. Eminem's husband. (laughs) Tell it all. All the little pieces. Yes. So there was this jar of, it was mixed with the peanut M&Ms and then the ones that were filled with peanut butter. So there was maybe, God, I want to say like half a cup left in this jar. And it, and it's one of those like really tall, tall jars. And I'm looking at it and I'm feeling triggered. I'm feeling like I, well, there's only a little bit left. I need to finish it. Cause in my head, there's this voice. that's always like, finish it, finish mm-hmm. it. Kind of like, um, a ha- like a hazing <laughs> like, like I'm being hazed by my by own yourself. Mind. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm looking at this. I'm like, uh, uh-uh, no, I know what's going to happen right now. I'm about to binge. I'm about to eat all these M&Ms because that voice in my head is like, finish it, finish it. So <laughs> I got a smaller mason jar, <laughs> poured, it, poured it all in there, closed it. I'm like, look, this jar is full. And it, it completely, it, it wiped out that that voice. That's amazing. Wow. I didn't even know that that was a thing I could do until I thought of it in that, in in that moment. Well, this is something else that I think you and me and maybe some of of our other Brown, Brown friends may have in common growing up. We were not allowed to leave food on our plate. Oh no. For me, it was like, clean your plate, eat everything off the plate, no matter how hungry or whatever. Like I remember I would be full and my father would just fill the plate and he would be like, you need to finish it. We yeah. cannot dump food into yeah. the garbage. And so yeah. I think that's obviously a different world mentality where oh, it's like sure. food has been scarce, eat everything. And so I noticed growing up, the other kids would throw a lot of food out. Yeah. I noticed the same. And it felt sacrilegious to me. Yeah. 
I, I just thought to myself, if only their parents saw, but then I would go to their houses eventually. Cause I didn't go to many houses, but eventually when I went to people's houses and I saw that their parents were throwing out food, yeah, this was shocking to me, horrifying, horrifying. And so for me today, it feels like a rebellion to leave any food on the plate. So that portion control thing. Yeah. Real, like what you were doing with the MMs, that's like portion control. You were like, okay, because that was almost like on a plate, being that yeah. little bit in that big jar, I have to move it to this other container. Yeah. I have to intentionally put something on a smaller plate or just intentionally only portion heavier plates, too. They have done studies on what kind of dinnerware you use and how that affects your feeling of satiation. That's a fun word. Satiation. <laughs> Just a shake a shake of your satiation. <laughs> when Andy and I moved in together, he had really, really heavy, heavy dishes. And so I only really use his dishes because when you put the food in a heavier plate, it feels like you're eating more. Yeah. So that has really, that's really helped. I have to finish every single thing. Mm-hmm on my plate. So I, I eat with smaller plates Mm -hmm. that that's one of the things that has really helped. And I will tell myself, it's okay. If I want to take more, take less first. Yeah. And then if I want to take more, I'll take more because, and I've had conversations with him about this, like waste is very emotionally triggering for me. Yeah. And You know, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how these cultural things get, you know, and how you grow up just continues to show up in your life in different ways, but you're smart to communicate that because I think this gets to the partnership thing and relationship thing that this can definitely be a a sticking point in some relationships where the way that you consume food, the types of food that you eat. Um, I mean, I was in a relationship for a long time with somebody that had the complete opposite diet of me, Mm -hmm. very carnivorous. I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I mean, I've been vegetarian since I was seven. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm one of those vegetarians. I will eat everything else except meat. Yeah. (laughs) So I eat a lot, but I think I was told for a long time that, you know, I didn't eat enough of the right things. So tell me why you're a vegetarian. So basically what happened is I was a voracious reader as a small child and I was in the store with my mother and, you know, they would have the magazines, pulled it off of the shelf, reading it while I was in the grocery line with my mother. And there was an article about baby cows, veal. Yeah. And it was the first time that I made the connection about where meat came from. I did not Mm. realize... I guess I it's, it's hard to make that connection. Yeah. The emotional connection sometimes it seems so obvious when you look back, like, how did we not know that chicken was chicken? How did right. we not know that bacon came from pigs? How, how did we not know this stuff? Right. But we, we never were instructed to stop right. and think about what is on your plate, where it came from, mm-hmm. what the process was. Cause we're not farmers. We're, we don't have connection to that anymore. We don't have that appreciation anymore. Exactly. And, and this is from, I don't know what this plays into it, but when I was born, we lived on a farm probably until I was almost two. And I have vague memories of that. 
like it's it's not mm -hmm. a long memory but it's it's like glips and there were horses and there were sheep and I think there may have even been some chickens at some point but I have some memories of that living in the in the midwest and yeah and I don't know how that plays into it but I just remember animals and I love animals and so when I made that connection I started crying and I asked my mom about this and my mother told me the truth and I will always yeah. respect and honor my mother for being honest yeah. and truthful with me and she she told me that she had been vegetarian before she met my father for a little while she was doing the hippie thing right for sure <laughs> she was doing the flower girl thing um so she was hip she was vegetarian for like a couple years in her 20s and she she just told me she understood she, now she didn't know this back then the language that we have for it now is that she was empathic and so was I and, right. And now I know what that means. So once I knew what it was, I then knew I was absorbing the energy of what I was eating. And of course, I could no longer participate in that. And it was a very upsetting thing for my father who really reveled in just feeding yeah. his children, whatever yes. he wanted them to eat and making a show of it. It's a cultural connective thing. I don't, I don't know what, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it, but when you cook meat, First of all, meat is synonymous with wealth, especially in India. If you can afford yes. to cook your family meat, that means you're doing really well. Yeah. So there is a celebratory aspect to how meat is cooked in India. Like that's why it's, that's why it's one of the most sought after dishes mm -hmm. and they, they smell and taste incredible. So if you are rejecting that, <laughs> it it it's easy I could see why you know you he took it personally it yeah. was a it was um he used to take me on little road trips little business trips with him and even though my father was a very troubled person and could be very volatile in his behavior when we went on our little trips together he treated me in a very special way. I felt like, you know, I got to sit in the front seat because I never got to sit in the front seat. There were five. You were the there. only kid. You were only kid. you were the only kid. Yeah. And he would feed me anything and I would eat it all, everything. And I was such, you know, this I'm agreeable. I'm accommodating. Yeah. So he could bring me anywhere and introduce me to anyone. And I, I would just be like this circus act. I could sing, I could dance, yeah. all of the stuff. And so once I stopped eating meat, he stopped taking me on those trips oh, gosh. and, and that severed a piece in our relationship that never really came back. Now, eventually he would start cooking veg more vegetarian food for me, yeah. but I think it was a very hard thing. And the other thing was it was in direct antagonism with the way we were living our life, which, you know, there were moments where we had money. It would be like all of a sudden we had money and buy the things right. when he would make a sale and then there would be no money. Yeah. And so it was just one of these odd dichotomies, but my mother, she really respected my choice Yeah, and she supported me. And so I had to sort of, at first she would make something for the kids and then she would take the meat out of this portion. But eventually what ended up happening is I just started cooking for myself, very young age. And when they first started coming out with like, they, there was just one box, they were Morningstar Farm uh, patties. Mm-hmm. And my family called them chemical patties, but I would make them in the <laughs> microwave, but I could have my veggie burgers. And when that changed everything, yeah. I started babysitting and I would buy them for myself so that I could eat. Yeah. When I was like 11, I started babysitting. It's so, 
this is what I always found so crazy about vegetarianism. It's everything you normally eat except without meat. It's, it's one less ingredient, yet people make such a big deal. Like you're in a cult or something. <laughs> what? You're a vegetarian? You don't eat meat? What? I know. It's, I know. it's so dehumanizing. And like, I've eaten all the things, right? Yeah. I've, I've been a vegetarian. I've not been a vegetarian. I grew up eating meat. I grew up eating everything. And then around the age of, I want to say 11 or 12, our family as a whole just stopped eating beef, no burgers, nothing. Let me just say meat is not something that in, in our culture, at least that was consumed every day. It was like once or twice a week, Mm -hmm. at least in my household, like we were mostly, we had mostly a vegetable based diet. And then like the weekend would come and then my dad would make chicken or we would go to a barbecue or something like that. Or if nobody felt like cooking one night, maybe we'd go get Burger King, but it wasn't like a staple of our diet. So giving, giving that first thing up wasn't a big deal. I I remember the only thing I ever really missed when we gave up beef was we would get Chinese food and Mm. Chinese food. They had these beef sticks and this was in Long Island. This was in New York. And I've never seen this on a menu before. Hang on, change your accent. You're talking about Long Island. That was in Long Island. I've never seen that on a menu here, (laughs) Um, but they were so good. Like they was so delicious. So delicious. Like it's basically meat on a stick, right? And when you're like (laughs) eight years old, you're like, this is fun. I'm holding a stick. It's got meat on it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that I remember missing. So that was like the first, the first thing I said goodbye to. And then in my early twenties, I just, my brother actually was the first, first person in our immediate household who gave up meat. Mm. And I think part of it was he was exposed to a lot of different things in college and uh, maybe part of it too is like feeling a little rebellious, wanting to, you know, try something different. But he gave up meat for like a year, I think it was. And that was hard for our family because we were all, we were all eating it. And then he wasn't. But then I think he eventually went back to eating meat. My, my maternal grandmother was lifelong vegetarian and we Mm. all like, she cooked meat. She cooked meat for her whole family, but she never ate it. Yeah. And she was a damn good cook. Mm -hmm. Like she was incredible. And I always remember looking at her example and she was so, she was so steadfast. Like you couldn't tempt her. You couldn't provoke her. You couldn't like force her. She was just very like, no, I'm not eating it. And everyone in the family tried, they would always like, oh, come on, you got to taste this. It's so good. It's so good. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it. And when I made the decision that I think I want to become a vegetarian, my mom was like, well, you know, your grandmother was is vegetarian. So I get it. And my dad was, was like, well, 
How are you going to get protein? Protein. That's the first question. How are you going to get protein? (laughs) And thankfully, this was around the time (laughs) that we did have access to the internet and stuff. So I started showing him articles and things. But that wasn't the full progression. I think the second thing I gave up was pork. And it happened because I read an article. (laughs) <laughs> oh, when you read stuff and it finds a way to like, oh, education, your head. education, people do not want to be educated about their food. And I get it. Yeah. I understand. I was that person. I was my, my mom's motto is who cares? We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> You've met my mom. She's silly, but I she's adore like, your mom. Oh, who cares? We're all going to die. Eat what you want. Be happy. That's my mom. Yeah. But I read this article about the composition of the flesh of pigs and the reason why people like, you know, animal byproducts from pigs, like whether it be bacon or pork or whatever is, is because it's the closest in composition to human flesh. Oh, I read that. And I was like, I'm not eating pigs anymore. I'm done. I gave up bacon. Oh, gave up. And I liked bacon. Like who doesn't like bacon? It smells amazing. And I gave it up. I never ate pork in my life. Cause that was, I mean, the other thing was growing up Muslim, um, you know, you just don't, right. eat, you don't eat pork. Sure. So I've never tasted it and I've never like the smell. So I didn't have yeah. that bacon thing, but I know a lot of people say, what did, what did you do with, how did you give up bacon? And, and for me, it was like, I never, I never had it. I yeah. never had it, but giving up something that you have enjoyed yeah. with your family. And I think for a typical American breakfast where you've had sausage, bacon, egg, sausage, and, sausage. Yes, it's, for sure. I will say this fake meat has come a long way. Uh, you took the words out of my mouth because there's nothing I miss now. I can have everything. I can have the taste. I mean, you were over and I made you that um, sausage, that fake sausage gravy and biscuits. Delicious. Yeah. And I remember what the real thing tastes like. And people forget it's not just the taste of the meat. It's the way we use the herbs, like the fennel and the the different spices that you put into things. That is what enhances the natural flavor of the meat. So I got creative and learned how to make things taste similar, not exact, but similar to what I grew up having. So gave up pork. And then after that, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm used to not eating this now. I think I'm ready to give up chicken. I didn't give up everything all at once. And I had a rule growing up that I would, I wouldn't eat meat outside of my house because I didn't trust the way it was prepared. Yeah. I never trusted the way it was prepared. So the only meat I was really eating was when my dad would make like butter chicken or tandoori chicken or, you know, lamb. Mm -hmm. We grew up eating lamb, goat, chicken, things like that. Right. That was the only thing that like gutted me a bit because my dad's cooking is so good. Well, I think, you know, the thing is to some people may be listening to this being like, oh, you're making me feel bad. Now I feel guilty. Yeah. I would say that I'm, I'm a very non-judgmental person when it comes to mm-hmm. this. I was a very judgy little vegetarian when I, sure. I mean, <laughs> when I became vegetarian, I went around telling everybody if I saw, I mean, if we went by a McDonald's and people were getting food, I'd, I'd walk around being like, you know, that came from a cow. 
moo cow. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> I was, a, I was a little bit of a, a Oh yeah, my God. You were smug about it. Yeah. I was yeah. a little smug about it. And my mother took me aside and she said, sweetheart, you, you really cannot talk to people like that. Right. People have to just like you made your choice, people have to make their choices. And so I had to learn a different way. This was my early PR career. Um, <laughs> I was learning strategies and tactics, but I, I sort of had to change my, my mode. And so what I did instead was focus on education and awareness. And so for me, what I tell people that are interested in how I eat, because I hear the same thing from people, how do you get protein. your protein? What, what's wrong with eating meat? Um, what if you were the last, what if you were the last person stranded oh God, on earth yeah. and, and all you had was a cow? Like people are so obnoxious. I, if I had a, if I had a dime for every time I got one of these questions, seriously, Listen, there are places oh. in the world that eat animals that we would never consider eating. A lot of people say like, Oh, well you've traveled all over the world. How do you make it work? I will tell you the hardest country to travel to as a vegetarian was the Philippines. Yeah. It was very difficult because there's fish and everything. Yeah. And in a lot of cultures, they don't consider fish meat. I consider fish meat. Now there are a lot of pescatarians out there who call themselves vegetarian. That's fine. That's their choice. But I consider fish meat. No, I don't. I feel like if you're, I call myself a pescatarian. Cause you eat fish, right? Cause I, I do eat fish. Right. They're, they're sentient beings that yeah. So I, I, it was very hard there because there's fish and everything. So in, there were meals where I would been, cause I was on a month long trip there as a study exchange where I would have been in the car driving for hours, haven't eaten anything since breakfast. I, sh- I remember one day I showed up at this banquet they had prepared for us. They had yeah. an entire buffet of food. The yeah. only thing I could eat was rice. There was not one vegetable there. Yeah. But there was another town I went to. The mayor found out that I was a vegetarian. They had the local chef prepare me every vegetarian thing. Lumpia, which is a which is a, a vegetable dish. I had durian, which is that smelly yes. fruit. I had, I mean, I don't even know what I had, but they piled these things, like probably seven plates on this table. They said, eat. And they sat around watching me eat. And I felt obligated to eat everything oh, yeah. on this table, but you can find things to eat as a vegetarian. So for the people who are like, oh, there's never enough to eat. I'm never hungry now. Thank goodness. I can, I'm not poor anymore. And I've moved up in the economic ladder, but, but this is also why I feel very passionate about people having access to food, but also understanding that they have a choice in how they consume food and to do so with intention and mindfully. And, you know, some people have gotten into the meatless Mondays. Yeah or flexitarian, which I think is great because you can say, okay, there's a day a week where I don't eat meat or sure. there's a couple days where I don't eat meat. And it just makes you a little more like thoughtful and conscious about what you're putting into your body. I used to think, well, there's an, there's a nation of nearly a 1 billion people and a primarily vegetarian diet. South India has the most diverse delicious vegetarian food there. They're they're not eating meat and they are thriving. They are healthy. They're doing fine. Yeah. So, you know, that was always something I fell back on knowing like in my heritage, there is a long line of there. There's a history of vegetarianism, especially because meat wasn't something you depended on in every meal. It was a 
celebratory thing. It was a once a week thing. Like, what were you doing the other six days? Starving, you know? There's this book, I I never finished it. I um, started it when I was getting into vegetarianism and even veganism, because I did that for a while too. Um, It was called Eating Animals. Have you ever, Mm -mm. anyway, look it up. (laughs) (laughs) Do you do the work? (laughs) Google it. What do you think I am? Wikipedia? Yeah, that book was pretty incredible. That, That really put me over the edge with how I was eating. It really made me think about, okay, if I'm going to be eating animals, I really need to think about, I'm voting with my dollar. If I'm going to pay $5 for cheese, let's say, why wouldn't I pay for the cheese that ensures that these animals were treated at a higher standard than average? So pasture raised. I always tell people, if you're going to eat animal byproducts, spend your money on pasture raised products Yeah, and research it, do the research. People are like, oh, cage-free, cage-free. Cage-free is is not what you think it is. It's a technical term about them not being in a cage. If you're wanting to eat and have the most ethical treatment of the animals, Mm -hmm. go for pasture-raised. It is expensive because it's not the norm. Well, you know, that's the funny thing about being vegetarian. I had kind of a running joke that I was a cheap date. Because, um, <laughs> because <laughs> most of the time growing up, the only thing that was available on the menu for vegetarians was salad. Yeah. And so it's like a salad, maybe a, if there was a soup, a vegetarian soup. So that would be like my dinner. If I ate out, I didn't eat out very much. I never ate out growing up. It's been really gratifying when I moved to this area in DC where there's you know, there's just so many more options. Mm -hmm. And now of course, today in most places, there's many more options of, of meatless dishes, but it's the best time in the world ever to be vegetarian. It really is. Or to try just to try different things. But I think the big thing is like, when you think about food, there's just, we all have a different relationship with food. And I know you and I have been talking about sort of um, the conscious the conscious nature of eating. Yes. But it also extends to other things. Like I know at some point I consciously gave up soda. Mm, Same. In seventh grade, because my father used to use, he would drive long distances and he'd get, it's Florida. So you get a ton of those, uh, uh, what are those love bugs on the windshield? Oh my God. Yes. So he would pull (laughs) over, he would pull over and he would get a thing of like soda pop, Coke, Pepsi, whatever. He would put it on the windshield. Yeah. And you would, and then he'd run the wipers and those things would just come right off. And I just remember at some point I connected that with my stomach. Yeah. What that must be doing to my stomach. And I didn't want it anymore. Cause yeah. I loved soda as a kid or from the Midwest, we call it pap. 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 <laughs> So I just was like, I don't want that. Now, every once in a while, I will have a ginger ale, especially when my tummy tummy is rumbly. There is nothing wrong with enjoying something once in a while. Once in a while. I gave up soda as well in my 20s 
And the reason I gave it up in part was because I saw it could be used as a cleaning product. Mm -hmm. That was part of it. The other part of it was it's really bad for your teeth. It's really bad for your teeth. The carbonation is so bad for your teeth. That was, that was another, I mean, we still always have it in the house, you know, like pizza and, and Coke. Like that was a, that was a, that was thing. a thing, ginger ale and Coke, ginger ale and pizza. But after I saw like all these studies about how carbonation is so bad for your teeth, it degrades the enamel and, and all that. I was like, it's not, it's not worth it. And also yeah. it's just a carrier for extra sugar. So that's a whole other, yeah, that's a whole other subject. So I Mm. gave it up and I do have like, Andy drinks a lot of diet soda. I'm not a huge fan, although I do see the allure and like, sometimes if he's poured himself a glass, I I've told him like, now that, now that, you know, we're together, you just have to know that as your partner, I'm entitled to a third of everything that you eat and drink. <laughs> so if you're, <laughs> I like how you've set a mathematical measurement. No, I told him like, you just need to know that if you put, you know, a bowl of popcorn for yourself, I'm going to eat a third, even if I said I didn't want any. That's right. <laughs> it's just, you just have to know that and then prepare accordingly. So like, if you go out and get fries, guess what? A third of those are my property. <laughs> eat them in the car if you don't want me to go after them. Oh man, that is so funny. Sugar, <laughs> sugar the sugar is interesting. I became much more intentional about sugar when I started putting on weight. Like I was yeah. the same weight after I started running, I lost weight, I got myself in shape. I was the same weight for many, many years, probably like I don't know, 8 years or whatever. And yeah. then when I got married, I was with somebody who ate really big portions, who yeah. ate much more typical American food. And my plate, you've probably experienced this too, where it was like, he would just, we ate very differently, but so we'd find the things that we'd eat and there were just bigger portions. And I was just, I was just eating kind of the same size he ate. And I realized after a while, it was like, I can't keep doing this. Yes. Cause I kept putting on weight. And of course, getting older, I had to find ways to get that extra out of my diet. So even things like I started cutting sugar out of my coffee, which was really hard at first, but now if there's sugar in my coffee, you you get sensitive. It takes about a couple of weeks. It tastes disgusting to me. now. Yeah. It takes about a couple of weeks when you do a, a sugar purge, when you really abstain from putting additional sugar into things and it's hard. I've done it. But once you do that, everything enhances. It's like you're receptors on your tongue they like yeah you taste the other things that are in it it's amazing it's worth doing if you've never done it I think it is worth doing just to show yourself how much um how much sugar we're unnecessarily adding to thing and then adding to things and then becoming habituated to that new level of taste and then it keeps upping and upping and upping and I don't know if you've ever taken measurement of how much sugar is in some of the things that you consume. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Four grams of sugar is, I believe, equivalent to one teaspoon of sugar. So if you read something and it says like 10 10 grams of sugar per serving, in your mind, create a visual that that is 
two and a half teaspoons someone has just plopped into whatever you're, you're eating. That helps having those visual equivalents really, really helps conceptualize, okay, what am I actually putting in my body? Yeah. And I think the whole thing with the body is for me, it's not even about how I look. It's about how I feel. feel. And for me as a runner, which this is my lifetime commitment, any other relationship, like, I mean, I know who my friends for life are, right? You're Mm -hmm. one of those friends for life, but (laughs) this is my commitment. Running is my committed relationship for no matter what comes or what goes. I I know that when I put on extra weight, I don't feel good when I run. And this is where I think having some relationship with some kind of exercise, whether it's yoga or stretching or walking or biking can really help you because then you have that habit and then you can feel connected with your body in a different way. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. when you're like consuming too much yeah, and can kind of self-regulate and self-monitor a little bit more. Cause I, I feel it like when I put on weight, I start getting pain in my knees because I'm carrying Mm, Cause you're carrying that. Yeah, definitely. That's super, that's super important to know about your body and everybody's body is different. It is. And everybody can carry comfortably a different, different amount of weights and, and all of that, but kind of coming back to the food thing, I, um, I guess the reason I really wanted to bring this up is because we're all sitting at home. Hmm. Most of us, most of us are sitting at home and food can very easily become our new source of entertainment. And we can lose that ability to be mindful. I know I'm super guilty of it. Like it's just, you get bored and you eat comforting. It's comforting. And it's, you know, if you have access to food, food will always be there for you. You know, (laughs) it's good. It's good to check in early in the year about how you are relating to food and how you can change your relationship to it. And here's the thing. It won't be mad at you if you, if you change your relationship to it. If you decide I'm going to try a low glycemic lifestyle for a little while and see how my body responds to it, or I'm going to try adding some more fiber, or I'm going to try maybe drinking a a glass of water about five, 10 minutes before I eat and see how my body responds to that. Like this is an area that you can really customize for yourself. You don't have to do it the way you see everyone else do it. Mm -hmm. You know, just adding a little mindfulness. I know some people have been getting into the intermittent fasting where they only eat certain hours of the day. Have you ever done it? Not religiously, but I, I have been eating like a little bit later in the day. And I do find that my body responds a little bit better to that Mm -hmm. problem though is the late night snacking. Oh yeah. That's an issue where I have to just be very mindful. And instead of uh, eating anything, I just have to be like, okay, just drink more water. Can I give you a suggestion for that? Of course. So when you were done with your last meal, brush your teeth. And then if you're worried about snacking, make like some peppermint tea 
or some some mint minty kind of tea it stimulates a different part of the brain and also like that taste in your mouth will kind of help eradicate cravings the brushing your teeth thing is a is a really good suggestion yeah yeah that's been helping that's been helping me a lot i um i did do intermittent fasting for a period of time where i was not having breakfast and starting to eat around 1130, like 1130, between 1130 and 1230, I'd have my first meal and then kind of go until about 730. So it was like from 11, from 1130 to 730 would be my eating, eating time frame. And what was nice about that was at 730, like I was done eating. And then within an hour and a half after that, I would probably be getting ready for bed. The mornings were hard. Uh, it got easier. The, the big thing with me is I have to be mentally occupied because if I'm not mentally occupied, I'm thinking about food. So if I was to do it again, I would probably do it the other way where I ate breakfast, mm-hmm. lunch, had a small dinner around like four, four thirty, and then didn't eat after that because I think, you know, every, every person's body is different. I do better when I have breakfast than when I don't have breakfast. I, I know this about myself now. I'm a breakfast, breakfast girl for life. It's important for me. I I'll have breakfast all day long. Yeah. Breakfast is my favorite food. <laughs> I don't have to have breakfast at breakfast, but I have to have breakfast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> breakfast for dinner, though. Like, oh, who doesn't love them some breakfast for dinner? Oh, so true. You make you make such good breakfast. So oh, well, thank you. You really do. You are an amazing cook. I would I would love at some point maybe to take some some coursework in in cooking just to kind of refine some of those skills. And, and branch out a bit. That'd be fun. To get refined. To get refined. <laughs> <laughs> Refine yourself, darling. So some advice for people who are looking to change uh, some of their food habits. I mean, if I'm kind of summarizing some of what we said, I think the first thing is about just being conscious of what you're eating and eating with intention. What else do you think is important? Use heavier plates, use heavier dishware. I'm telling you, it sounds crazy, but it makes such a difference because we process information through all of our senses. So when you feel the weight of that, that kinesthetic sort of sensibility of like holding it in your hands, it sends a message to your brain that there's a lot here. Mm, that's yeah, good. that's definitely one. Drinking a glass of water, you know, whenever you're feeling a craving, our brain sometimes doesn't get it right. It, it can confuse things. So consider flexitarian eating where there are some meals you eat without any meat. Yeah. Uh, Pasture just, raised sources of, of any animal byproduct, whether it's dairy, eggs, you know, meat itself, try it's hard, but I really feel like if we put more money into these more ethical places, they will eventually start to take over and that will become the norm. That would be nice. Yeah, it would be. You are what you, you are what you eat. 
I'm oatmeal. <laughs> I'm good for you and I'll make you poop. I've been accused of talking about gastrointestinal in, intestinal things a bit more than expected on this podcast. I just want you to know I have no shame about it. So come at me. Come, come at, at me. me. I'm ready. <laughs> and and Amy's flashing some gold rings at me while she's <laughs> she's she's got her own mafia over there of, of dogs that are of gonna dogs. come at you. Yeah. <laughs> we will mess you up. Oh my goodness. That's too funny. I know. I'm I'm super preachy about some of this stuff, but no, I think it's good. I, I, I need to be reminded. And I think we've all been in, it's going to be, we're coming up on a year of lockdown or yeah. not lockdown. We're coming <laughs> down. We're coming up on a year of quarantine behavior, I should say. Yes. So where we're having to not be gathering and, and doing things in a non-traditional way. And Oh, the food thing. I mean, there's the, the quarantine weight is a real thing. A lot of people have put on a lot of weight and, um, you know, me included. Yeah. And so it's figuring out how to, how to manage things. Cause it's not sustainable, right? No, it's not. It really, it really is not. I find for me, if I am not trying to make my plate look fun, I, get depressed about what I'm eating, especially if I'm eating healthier. Party on the plate. Party on yeah. the plate. Yeah. So I try to really make a I try to really make it a, a spectacle, a show, so that you're eating with your eyes too. And don't don't forget that. Yes, food is fuel, but you're you're allowed to make it look special. So put in the effort, even if it's just you. Like you're worth don't let anyone treat you like free salsa. You are cheese dip, baby. You are cheese dip. I stole this from a meme. I don't know whose meme it is, but thank you. <laughs> well, happy eating. Happy Sunday eating. Nom, nom, nom. <laughs> <laughs>